Hey everyone, welcome back to Dreams and Screams. We're on episode two. Um, as always, we're your hosts, Ashley. And Tammy. Tammy's going to take us through um, a story that she's been working on. And I personally don't know anything about this story. I've been keeping my ears closed. So we're really excited. Do you want to get going? Yeah, I'll take it away. First, again, and we're probably going to say this a million times, we're not professional podcasters. So I have done my best to cover as much as possible in this case. But it's kind of a biggie. And I'm sure there's things I'm going to miss. Continuing on the track of home hometowns. I'm from Long Island, New York, so I am doing Lisk, the Long Island serial killer. I'm gonna start way back at the beginning. It's May 1st, 2010. 23-year-old Shannon Gilbert mysteriously disappears. She was at a gated community in the south shore of Long Island, about an hour away from New York City. Gilbert was a sex worker. She resided in Jersey City, New Jersey. She was traveling with her driver, Michael Pack, from Manhattan to meet a client, Joseph Brewer, at his home in Oak Beach, Long Island. So basically what happens is that he remains in his car while she goes inside to do, yeah, to do what she does. At some point, point during this meeting, Shannon allegedly begins acting like super irrational. Her client had contacted the driver, Michael, basically told her she had to leave his home. Mm. Apparently, she refused to leave and eventually she fled on foot into the Oak Beach community. I'm already like, what is going on? Yeah. So she knocks on several doors. She interacts with two homeowners based on what we know anyway, before she totally disappears. No one knows what happens to her. Okay, so she's at a client's house. He asked her to leave. She's being irrational. She's now on foot. She goes into a community and then... She's poof. still in the same community. But then poof. Poof disappears. Apparently, she had made a frantic 911 call, which we're not going to play the 911 call. I always feel like those are kind of hard to hear. But she was screaming, they're trying to kill me. Now, later, the FBI did analyze this 911 call with a psychiatrist. And they basically said that the disappearance was not consistent with being the victim of violence or a violent crime. Now that's just wild to me because if you have a 911 call where someone's saying that they're trying to kill me and then this person literally disappears into thin air, I just don't know how automatically you assume she was not the victim of anything. Right. Not automatically unless they start digging into it and they find like ulterior evidence. But yeah, immediately my thought would be something's wrong. We got to look into this. Exactly. So again, I feel like unsurprising to all of us. She was a sex worker and this was 2010. I mean, I don't know truly if many things have changed now, but I just don't think that they really seem to put a lot of thought behind her disappearance. Now, Gus Coletti, 76, was one of the last people to actually see her alive and he also called 911. Well, this is what he says. He was home shaving shortly before 5 a.m. and all of a sudden someone's screaming and bang, bang, bang on his door. He opens the door. She stood right there. He asked her, what's the matter? And she said, help me. He dialed 911 and she ran. She just took off and that's the last I saw of her is what he said. It's so strange that she would keep fleeing. Again, I know nothing about this case, so I'm just saying what's on my brain. Yeah. Well, I think that at least for me, when I heard this story, it just kind of seemed like obviously someone was after her, which is why she was fleeing. Yeah. I'm going to paint 
the picture for you. Like I said, I'm from Long Island. I have been to the skated community where she disappeared. It's a super small community, Oak Beach. It's located near the end of Jones Beach and like the Great South Bay, which I guess doesn't really matter if you don't really know, but it's kind of divided into two. So the Eastern part is like the gated community and then the Western part is not gated. She disappeared from like the gated part. Just to give you an idea of how small this community is, according to the 2010 census, the population was 286. It's secluded from the main road. So you have Ocean Parkway. It's like a parkway that leads you to the beach. And then there's like a thick brush like all along there. And then you can go into the community. There's homes and then there's like a sandy, grassy dune. And then there's a beach. Are these like big homes? Is it known for families? Like I'll get to that. Okay. Okay. I'm jumping ahead. It's secluded from the main road, so it has this super like isolated and exclusive kind of feel to it. As you may have guessed, pretty much everyone that lives there has money. The average home cost roughly 750k to mm. well over a million. Mm-hmm. I mean, most homes are over a million dollars. When you first go into this community, you'll see like a little parking lot. There's like the sandy grassy hill, like I said. The parking lot is closed from dusk to dawn, and there's usually like a patrol car monitoring through the night. When I was first dating my fiance, we actually went to Oak Beach one night just to hang out, like walk along the beach, etc. We go in, the gates were open. There's no one there. You look ahead and it's the sandy, like grassy dunes and then the beach. And then to the right is like all the houses. Mm-hmm. So we parked, we were like talking. We get out of the car to like walk towards the beach. Immediately patrol comes out of nowhere, tells us to leave basically. The whole place had like a super weird spooky vibe. You can kind of tell that like they make you know it if you don't belong kind of place this was in 2015 already but it was kind of weird so getting back to shannon she disappears the driver and the man that she went to see were investigated and they were cleared of any criminal involvement again she was a sex worker the police did not seem to care unfortunately there was years without an arrest a suspect any leads it was really her mom mary that kind of kept the story alive like just not a priority yeah she kept kind of bugging the police and like really just trying to get justice and get somebody to find her daughter like what happened now it's saturday december 11th of 2010 months after shannon disappeared a police dog and his handler found the first body near gilgo beach ocean parkway they were searching for shannon right by where she disappeared and they found a body the victim would be identified as 24 year old melissa bartholomew so it's not shannon but suddenly they found someone else's body now that was saturday by Tuesday, the investigators had already focused their attention not only on the brush and grassy dunes where the body was found, but also on Oak Beach, a residential area exactly where Shannon had disappeared. They literally brought a busload of investigators to the gated community. They obviously conducted interrogations and really just like a huge investigation ensued. Two days later, the bodies of three more women were found nearby. Amberlyn Costello, 27, Megan Waterman, 22, and Maureen Brainerd Barnes, 25. These are known as the Gilgo Beach Four. So this is basically, I think, a lot of people know, like, this part of the story okay. of, like, the four bodies. I'll tell you a little bit about them. This is going to be a long one, yeah, by the way. Yeah, no, I'm so intrigued. <laughs> Alright, so let me tell you a little bit about the Gilgo Beach Four. Melissa Bartholomew, 24. She's from Erie County, New York. She went missing on July 12, 2009. She had been living in the Bronx and working as an escort 
through Craigslist. Good old Craigslist. On the night she went missing, she met with a client. He deposited $900 in her bank account. She attempted to call an old boyfriend, but the call didn't get through. About one week later, lasting for literally five weeks, her teenage sister Amanda receives a series of mocking and insulting phone calls from a man. Oh God, this is so terrible. So the caller asked Amanda if she was a whore like her sister. <gasps> yeah. The calls became increasingly disturbing and eventually culminated in the caller telling Amanda that her sister was dead and that he was going to watch her rot. Wow. Police traced some of the calls to Madison Square Garden, Midtown Manhattan, and Massapequa, but were unable to determine who was making the calls because they came from like a burner cell phone, yeah. so they couldn't actually get a phone number. Also, the mom, Bartholomew's mom, noted that there were a lot of calls to Manorville from her daughter's phone around the time of her disappearance. So she was calling someone in Manorville, but they just didn't know who. Melissa was four foot ten and about 95 pounds, and she had been strangled. So she was tiny. Amber Lynn Costello, 27. She lived in West Babylon, New York, which is really close to where Oak Beach is, too. A small town 10 miles north of Gilgo Beach. She was a sex worker who went missing on September 2nd, 2010. That night, she reportedly went to meet a stranger who had called her several times and offered her $1,500 for her services. Her family believed that she was in a residential drug rehab center, and so she was not immediately reported missing when she wasn't responding to phone calls or messages. So I guess they didn't really know where she was. But if you're in rehab, sometimes you're under a certain program that you can't talk to. Exactly. I guess they didn't really know that she was missing until several days had gone by, unfortunately. Prior to moving to West Babylon, New York, she had been living with her second husband in Clearwater, Florida, and there she was working as a waitress. She was also four foot eleven, and she weighed approximately 100 pounds, tiny as well, and she had been strangled. So same MO, you know, the circumstances are very similar. Right, all sex workers, all... Very tiny, tiny girls, yeah. All strangled. Exactly. Megan Waterman, 22. She was of South Portland, Maine. She went missing on June 6th, 2010. She had placed an advertisement on Craigslist as an escort. The previous day, she had told her 20-year-old boyfriend that she was going out and would call him later. At the time of her disappearance, she was staying at a motel in Hophog, New York, which is about 15 miles northeast of Gilgo Beach. She was a mother of one and unfortunately had become a victim of sex trafficking. Oh my- I know, it's so sad. She was 5'5", five five and she had also been strangled. So, obviously, all these deaths are extremely similar. Then the last of the Gilgo Beach Four is Maureen Brainerd Barnes. She was from Connecticut, was 25 when she disappeared, and she was seen last on July 9, 2007. So she had planned to spend the day in New York City, but then she was never seen again by anyone. She was a mother of two, worked as a paid escort via Craigslist. She had been out of the sex industry for seven months, but she had some bills that she had to pay, so she returned to work after receiving an eviction notice. Now, shortly after her disappearance, a friend of hers, Sarah, received a phone call from a man with an unfamiliar number. Now, this may sound similar because the same thing happened to Amanda, who's Melissa Bartholomew's sister. The man claimed that he had just seen Maureen and that she was alive and staying at a whorehouse in Queens. He refused to identify himself and could not tell her the location of the house, but he said he would call back and give her the address. Obviously, never called again. It was super weird, but she said he didn't have like a New York or like a Boston accent, which are like common in Long Island. Yeah. I'm not laughing. I'm just laughing because I'm from Boston yeah. and you're from, yes, we 
mean, I can imagine what it would sound like if you did. Yeah, it's like if you're from the South, like, you know if the person's from, like, Georgia or if they're from, like, Louisiana or whatever. So at the time of her disappearance, she was working at a Super 8 motel in Manhattan. And then on the night of July 9th, when she disappeared, she called a friend in Connecticut and told her she was planning on meeting a client outside of the motel. She was never seen again. Like the other victims, she was also super petite. 4'11", and she weighed 105 pounds. She had also been strangled. So those are the Gilgo Beach four. Literally almost identical. Yeah. Petite women who were doing sex work. Most of them advertising through Craigslist. Right. All found strangled. strangled. And disposed of in the similar area. So I'll get into that a little bit more now. The bodies discovered in December were deposited above ground and spread over a quarter mile. Each one had been placed roughly 500 feet from the next and each one lay around 50 feet from the north side of Ocean Parkway. Investigators said that although they were placed there at different times, they were all in their 20s, they had all advertised for clients on Craigslist, so obviously from the get-go, they knew they were connected. Now it's three months later, March of 2011, the partial remains of 20-year-old Jessica Taylor were found near Gilgo Beach. Part of her body, though, had been discovered eight years earlier in 2003 and 40 miles away in Manorville, New York. Now, if you remember Manorville, New York, one of the victims had been calling a number in Manorville, New York quite a bit. Obviously, when they had discovered part of her body in 2003, it wasn't linked to anything else. Jessica, she was living in Manhattan when she went missing on July 21st, 2003. And on July 26th, five days later, her naked and dismembered torso, missing its head and hands, was discovered 45 miles east of Gilgo Beach in Manorville, New York. my God. I know. It's really sad. The remains were identified by DNA analysis later that year. Her torso was found atop a pile of scrap wood at the end of a paved access road, just north of where it crosses the Long Island Expressway. Plastic sheeting was found underneath her torso, and a tattoo on her body had been mutilated with a sharp instrument. So obviously the killer was trying to prevent ID of her body. They found more remains in 2011, in March of 2011, matched to Jessica Taylor, including a skull, a pair of hands, and a forearm. She had been working in Washington, D.C. and Manhattan as a sex worker, and she was last seen working around the Port Authority bus terminal in Manhattan when she disappeared. I just want to caveat as well and say that obviously, you know, a lot of these women were sex workers. They were sisters and mothers and friends, and obviously there's more to them than just their occupation. Obviously, this gained notoriety because there were so many bodies found. Hopefully, go forward, the police and the investigators will care more from the beginning, even if they just find one body of a sex worker. But anyway, I Yeah, there should not have to be a giant string of events that lead them to, oh, we should look into this. Yeah, for them to give a fuck. Everybody should matter, no matter any of the... Yeah, no matter what they do, who they are, what they look like. But yes, so that was Jessica Taylor. We're back in 2011. Days later, three more sets of human remains were discovered alongside Ocean Parkway. The first was 24-year-old Valerie Mack. 
her partial remains had also been found in Manorville years earlier. And they found unidentified toddler near her. A toddler? I can't. I know. Well, Buckland, there's... So, Valerie Mack. Originally, they didn't know who she was. So, she was called Jane Doe number six. And also the Manorville Jane Doe when they originally had found those partial remains in Manorville years earlier. Melissa Taylor was living in Philadelphia and working as an escort when she went missing in 2000. Like many of the victims, she was small in stature, approximately five feet tall, and she weighed about 100 pounds. Partial remains were discovered in Manorville in 2000, but were not identified until 2020. So 20 years. Her remains went unidentified. Wow. Insane. Her torso was found wrapped in garbage bags and dumped in the woods near the intersection of Halsey Manor Road, which is the same place they found the other remains in Manorville, adjacent to a set of power lines and nearby power line access road. A head, right foot, and hands found on April 4th, 2011 were at first determined to have belonged to an unidentified victim, dubbed Jane Doe number six. It was later determined that they belonged to the same woman whose torso had been mm. found. So that's when they knew that that was the same person. Her right foot had been cut off above the ankle. They're thinking possibly to conceal an identifying mark or tattoo. On May 28, 2020, police announced that the remains had been identified as Valerie Mack, who had last been seen by family members in the spring or summer of 2000 in the area of Port Republic, New Jersey. So the dismembered remains of Valerie Mack and Jessica Taylor were both disposed of in a similar manner and in the same part of Manorville, suggesting a link. Two miles west, back in 2011, police discovered the skeletal remains of an unidentified Asian person believed to be between 17 and 23 years old. He still remains unidentified to this day. Wow. So, oh my god. This body they call Asian male. It is the body of a young Asian male who had died from blunt force trauma. They discovered it on April 4th, 2011 at Gilgo Beach, very close to the where the first four sets of remains had been discovered in 2010. The victim was found wearing women's clothing. They thought he was possibly a transgender woman. The victim was between 17 and 23 years of age, five foot six. He or she, we obviously don't know how they identify. Yeah, exactly. May have had musculoskeletal disorder, which could affect the gait. The victim had been dead between five and 10 years. They did release a composite sketch of the victim. So hopefully the notoriety of this case now even more so, maybe someone will come forward. Now, about a week later in April 2011, two more sets of partial remains were found along Ocean Parkway. The first was a woman who was believed to be the mother of the toddler found the week before. Part of her body had been previously discovered in Hempstead Lake State Park back in 1997. What in the what? This story is wild. It spanned to the 90s. Wow. The ones that are linked to even earlier cases, these are the ones that are mostly dismembered and and then the later ones that were discovered in 2011 were strangled strangled fully intact, if we will. Yes. Okay. So So the MO has changed a little bit. Yeah. So the woman who is found, believed to be the mother of the toddler, found the week before, part of her body had been previously discovered, like I said. The second was the skull of a woman who was linked to remains found on Fire Island in 1996. So just like all along the beaches. Now this was Jane Doe number seven, also called the Fire Island Jane Doe when they first found her remains. Eventually they 
they find out her name is Karen Vergata, a 34-year-old woman from Manhattan, was believed to have been working as a sex worker when she disappeared in 1996. Karen was unidentified for 27 years. That is absolutely wild. I know, it's so sad when they can't even put a name to the poor victim. She was identified in 2022 through genetic genealogy, which is insane, the fact that we can do these things now. Her severed legs were found in a garbage bag on Fire Island in 1996. 15 years later, in 2011, they found her skull and several of her teeth at Tobey Beach, the second set of remains to be discovered in Nassau County that day. These remains were linked through DNA testing to the remains found on Fire Island in 1996. Now, three victims remain unidentified. Like we said, Asian male, that's his moniker because they don't know their name. The other two unidentified bodies are Baby Doe. So Baby Doe was the third set of remains that they found on April 4th, 2011, about 250 feet away from the partial remains of Valerie Mack, the skeleton of a female toddler between one and four years of age. The body was wrapped in a blanket and showed no visible signs of trauma. DNA tests determined that the child's mother was Jane Doe number three. Her body was found about 10 miles east near Jones Beach State Park. The toddler was wearing gold earrings and a gold necklace. I'm trying to make sense of it in my head, but I'm thinking it's like if you were going to get caught, like they're going to find all of this stuff. Well, clearly this person didn't didn't think they were going to get caught. Yeah, it's wild. So Peaches, Jane Doe number three, she's Baby Doe's mom. On June 28th, 1997, the dismembered torso of this unidentified young African-American woman was found at Hempstead Lake State Park in the town of Lakeview, New York. The torso was found in a green plastic Rubbermaid container, which was dumped next to a road. I know, it seems random compared to the rest. Like a big tote. Yeah. It was dumped next to a road along the west side of the lake. Investigators reported that the victim had a tattoo on her left breast of a heart-shaped peach with a bite out of it and two drips falling from its core, which is why they call her peaches. On April 11th, 2011, police discovered the dismembered skeleton human remains inside a plastic bag near Jones Beach State Park. The victim was dubbed Jane Doe number three. In December 2016, Peaches and Jane Doe number three were possibly identified through DNA testing as being the same person. And that's when they realized that she was the mother of Baby Doe. She was also found wearing gold jewelry similar to that of her daughter. Mm-hmm. Now, on November 29th, 2011, police announced that they believe one person to be responsible for all 10 murders and that the perpetrators almost certainly from Long Island. Obviously, the single killer theory stems from common characteristics between the conditions of the remains and forensic evidence related to the body. At this point, they did announce a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest on the Long Island murders. Time out, time out. Sorry, sorry. We still don't know about Shannon. Correct. So they still haven't found Shannon. They've now uncovered 10 bodies. Okay. All within the same area. This is like panic on Long Island. Right. Truly, I had just graduated high school in 2008. So this was 2010, 2011 while the bodies were found. And I read this somewhere. I don't even think I put it in here. But even like obviously all the homeowners along Oak Beach and those like secluded communities were trying to sell their houses. Right, they were not. Because you don't want to be connected to the fact that this community, like what's going on in this community. Yeah. It's like obviously all the bodies weren't found in the community. Right. But because that's where Shannon disappeared 
heard their home values were going down like the whole thing is crazy but there was like a lot of panic and I think to this day people still don't want to go to Oak Beach because of everything that's been going on at this point they were referring to whomever the killer was as Joe C according to the New York Times the perpetrator was most likely a white male in his mid-20s to mid-40s and very familiar with the South Shore of Long Island also had access to burlap sacks used to hold the bodies for disposal he may have had a detailed knowledge of law enforcement techniques or perhaps ties to law enforcement which helped him avoid detection but also at this point the investigators thought that there may be more than one killer again like you pointed out before there's like a couple methods that were used so some of the victims were strangled and then some of the bodies were dismembered right they're not identical but they're similar they thought it could be more than one killer on december 13th 2011 they finally find the remains of shannon gilbert she had been found in a marsh about half a mile from where she had disappeared 19 months after her disappearance a week earlier some of her clothing and belongings had been discovered in the same vicinity obviously you guys remember she was last seen banging on a resident's door and screaming for help before running off into the night she made that 911 call that night saying that she was fearing for her life that somebody was trying to kill her now her death and truly her mom being super persistent with police for them to take the case seriously triggered this whole search where all these bodies were found to this day they do still say that her body may completely be unrelated to the long island serial killer but we don't really know right her cause of death remains contested police are claiming it was an accidental drowning while an independent autopsy determined possible strangulation so her actual cause of death is undetermined okay obviously the case made national headlines they named this killer the long island serial killer or lisk and this is like where the story was okay so that was 2010 2011 they found 11 bodies now it's 2015 they finally announced that the fbi had officially joined the investigation four fucking years later so up until that point it was just long island they were not doing much i'm not gonna say they weren't doing anything but they really were not doing much so this is where the story continues to get crazy the announcement came one day after the former police chief james burke was indicted for civil rights violations and conspiracy he had resigned from the department in october 2015 he was also reported to have blocked fbi involvement in the gilgo beach cases for years he didn't want the help but they were also not solving any of the cases. Mm, my brain is going somewhere. So the FBI apparently had assisted in the search for the victims, but had never officially been a part of the investigation. Now, in November 2016, he was sentenced, Burke, this is the chief of police, was sentenced to 46 months in federal prison for assault and conspiracy. So this was like a major corruption scandal within Suffolk County law enforcement. But apparently he was accused of beating a man who allegedly broke into his vehicle in 2012 and stole a bag that contained sex toys and porn and then conspiring to block the FBI investigation into his actions, according to court records. So he ultimately pleaded guilty to a civil rights violation and conspiracy to obstruct justice. He was sentenced to 46 months in prison. So that's like a sidebar note of just the Suffolk Police Department really dropped the ball 
right on this insane case there's other things clearly happening yeah and they didn't do their due diligence truly now a day after burke was arrested the suffolk county police deputy commissioner at the time announced that the fbi would join the investigation finally yeah i mean come on i again i'm like did it have to get to 11 bodies yeah you know four wasn't well and four years later this is four years later after the 11 bodies were found okay so that was 2015 now 27 Another two years has passed. September 12, 2017, Suffolk County prosecutor Robert Bianca Villa said that John Bitroll, a Suffolk County resident convicted of murdering two sex workers and suspected in the murder of a third, may have committed some of the Gilgo Beach murders. So he was a potential suspect in 2017. There were some similarities between the Gilgo Beach crime scenes and his known murders for which he was convicted in May of 2017. He was originally arrested in 2014 after his DNA was found on two murdered women, Rita Tangretti and Colleen McNamee, whose bodies were found in 1993 and 1994, respectively. The match had been made through DNA submitted by his brother, who was convicted in 2023 on an unrelated case. They looked into him. They obviously didn't want to really comment much. He did live in Manorville, about 30 miles from where the torsos were discovered. He was also a hunter who was said to enjoy killing animals. So he was just mm. a great guy all around. He was a carpenter by trade with access to hack sauce and electric sauce. Now, because many of the bodies were found precisely dismembered, his access to and proficiency with these tools, he seems like a good fit for it. Above the average, like I wouldn't know how to use a saw. I mean, I guess obviously being a carpenter and having sauce doesn't automatically make you a murderer. This is true. But... It was just all of these yeah. things combined. There's a lot of things pointing like to... Like, he lived in the area. He murdered two other women. So, there's, like, way more adding up for this dude. The grown daughter of Rita Tangretti, who was one of the victims murdered by him, was also the best friend of Melissa Bartholomew, who was one of the Gilgo Beach victims. That just seems notable. If you remember, Melissa was the one who had a lot of calls from Manorville to her mm-hmm. phone. And this guy, John Bittroff, lived in Manorville. Right. So there's just Again, like a, a lot. string of things happening to connect yeah, now. So if it was like the 90s and you had that big poster with all the red string. Right. They started to connect. And just red string all yeah. along. So that was 2017. There was just kind of that blip of this one specific suspect. But nothing came of it. They didn't arrest him for it. There was nothing else that came of that. Three more years go by. It wait, is now wait, wait. 2020. He wasn't arrested but he, he they know he murdered people he was already indicted for oh, those murders okay. sorry he wasn't actually connected to any of the gilgo beach killings he was only a suspect gotcha okay so it's 2020 three more years have gone by on january 16th suffolk county police commissioner geraldine hart released images of a belt found at the crime scene with the letters h m or wh depending on how you hold the belt and boston black leather this was the first time they released evidence to the public the belt had been found during the initial investigation near Ocean Parkway, Gilgo Beach. They believe that the belt was handled by the perpetrator and that it did not belong to any of the victims. So they released a few details about the belt, but they wouldn't comment exactly where it was found. It was also announced that the new scientific evidence was being used in the investigation and they actually launched gilgonews.com, which is a website enabling the department to share news and receive tips regarding the investigation. Okay. So it's 
now nine years later and this is literally the first that the public is being involved aside from those sketches at the very beginning to identify asian male there was really no other information about it 2020 was also when jane doe was identified as valerie mack and they also revealed karen vergata's identity so they were doing you know behind the scenes obviously some work but also at this point was when they were really getting into the genetic genealogy to identify the victims but also they were thinking about using it to also identify the killer so it's 2020 there still has been no arrest there's really only been the one suspect but that didn't really go anywhere this is where the case was but as a side note just like another crazy turn of events in this case backtracking just a little bit on an afternoon in july 2016 sarah gilbert shannon's sister invited her mother home she winds up stabbing her mom 227 times the fuck? Bludgeons her with a fire extinguisher and sprays the fire extinguisher foam in her mouth. What the actual fuck? Yeah. So Sherry Gilbert, which is another sister, writes on her Facebook. So as a lot of you may know, my mother passed away yesterday. She was murdered by my sister, Sarah, who was battling mental illness for two and a half years. My sister Stevie and I are incredibly devastated beyond words as our mother was the backbone of the family. It's wild. It just keeps getting worse for us. can't process. Police responded to a call from one of Sarah's sisters outside the home. Sherry Gilbert told officers that Sarah called her that morning and told her she was hearing voices. Inside, the police found Mary Gilbert. They found her body and Sarah was smoking a cigarette. In body camera footage played for the jury at trial, Sarah told police in a soft voice, I killed my mom. Sarah told police that before the killing, she heard voices referring to her mother as the devil and a bad god and redirecting her to kill her this story is insane so the younger sister stevie testified for the prosecution at trial saying that sarah had a strained relationship with the mom who had obtained custody of the defendant's son following a february 2016 incident in which sarah the defendant drowned a puppy in front of her child oh my god the prosecution maintained that sarah plotted the killing after her mother had sarah arrested months earlier for killing the puppy. So obviously there was a strained relationship. She was not mentally there. Yeah, not well. But the defense argued that Sarah harbored delusions fueled by years of abuse and mental illness. A forensic psychologist testified for the defense that Sarah suffered from acute symptoms of schizophrenia at the time of the killing. Now, they obviously had no doubt that the defendant suffers from a debilitating mental illness that blurs the lines of fiction and reality. But at the end of the day, the proof reasonably supports the jury's finding that at the time of the killing, she really had the capacity to know and appreciate both the nature and consequences of her conduct. So they obviously wind up convicting her. It's just like another crazy, terrible turn to this story. Mary was such an advocate for the victims and I truly believe her. Yeah, I don't even know that they would have ever found all these bodies if she didn't keep pushing for them to search for her daughter. Unfortunately, her life ended tragically as well it's really really sad and upsetting i honestly i don't even think i had heard this part so when i was doing the research for this story again all so tragic all so sad but that's just another layer that you don't expect it just didn't get better for this family it's really 
really sad. Just to cite some sources, I had a lot of sources for this story. Okay. There's so much information out there. A lot of it was from a New York Times article with recording by Joseph Goldstein, William Rashbaum, Nate Schwieber, and Tim Stello. I hope I'm saying those names correctly. My good old friend Wikipedia, of course. There were also from BBC News and some from NBC Universal, NBC News. What we'll do is we'll put a lot of our sources in the show notes as well because it's just kind of a lot to say. And that's part one of List the Long Island Serial Killer. It's a lot to unpack or digest. I don't know the right words to use. Being there when they were discovering all these bodies was crazy. It's just like sheer panic. Truly. Like you remember? I remember it. I just remember turning on the news and it was December. It was snowing. It was cold. It was close to Christmas. And then suddenly they're just discovering all these bodies. You know, then it goes into the new year, into April. And they just keep fucking finding bodies. It's like these moments in history when it's like, holy shit, what is happening? But yeah, that's part one. The Long Island Serial Killer. Stay tuned for part two where I'll get into 2023 info. Literally up until information from like two days ago. I'm literally like, I need justice. And I'm just going to say allegedly like a thousand times because obviously it's still ongoing. There's so many things happening and sometimes it's kind of hard to decipher like what is actually true and what is just people. We're in the age of the internet and the end of the day. So there's so much information and misinformation out there. And again, we're not journalists. We're not professionals in the reporting field. So as we always preface, we're just doing our best to string along the information from credible sources that we can find. Yeah. We won't always get every fact perfectly right, but we'll always do our best. Absolutely. All we can do is our best. Thanks for hanging with us. Thanks. I'm really interested for part two of this. Well, stay tuned. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye.